I'm going to turn back and I'm going to read from verse 12. I, mean, I think it's quite interesting um, as we were singing that. I realized I didn't have to look at the screen or a book. I knew every word. I haven't sung it for years. It's one of the great advantages of singing the Bible, that uh, you remember whole parts of the Scripture. And I would encourage you to uh, regularly use the Psalms in your own personal reading prayer and praise as well. Let's read from verse 12 uh, onwards. This is the plot. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for He knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. But their swords will pierce their own hearts, and their bows will be broken. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked, for the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The days of the blameless are known to the Lord, and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In days of famine, they will enjoy plenty. But the wicked will perish. The Lord's enemies will be like the beauty of the fields. They will vanish, vanish like smoke. The Christian life is a battle. There is a plot. The wicked plot against the righteous. This is not a Christian persecution complex. It's just a simple fact. They seek to poison. Verse 12, they gnash their teeth at them. They persecute them. Verses 14 onwards, they want to bring down the poor and the needy. And sometimes as Christians, we do feel as though we are being hammered. Now, I have to say that there is a very comfortable form of middle-class Christianity which many of us adopt, and therefore we can't identify with this. We don't feel we're persecuted. We don't feel we're God. We certainly don't feel that we're poor. In fact, Christianity has been really good to us, and life's been really good to us, and everything is really good to us, and so we present the gospel in those terms. But I'm having enormous difficulty with that way of thinking because without desiring to be persecuted, we are promised that everyone who wants to live a godly life will suffer persecution in different ways. There is a cost to following Jesus Christ. When you become a Christian, it might be that your friends want to disown you. When you become a Christian, it might be your family wants to disown you. When you become a Christian, it may be that it will limit your job prospects. When you become a Christian, there are costs in terms of time and in terms of finance and everything else. In fact, Jesus tells us that we are to call Him Lord and we are to give up everything to follow Him. I think the version of Christianity that so many of us are taught is that Jesus just adds on to everything that we have. And so we don't experience this. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow. The wicked plot against the righteous. That's not our experience. And maybe we say, well, we can understand that in a country where Christians are persecuted and things like that. But friends, there's a, a spiritual warfare that goes on. And the devil is constantly seeking to destroy, to destroy our families, to destroy our homes, to destroy our lives in so many different ways. And what's the Lord's answer to that? Two things. Verses 13, 15, and 20. Look at verse 13. The Lord laughs at the wicked, for He knows their day is coming. Verse 15, their swords will pierce their own hearts, and their bows will be broken. Verse 20, the wicked will perish, the Lord's enemies will be like the beauty of the fields, they will vanish, vanish like smoke. 
God watches and God knows, and God is fully aware of everything that is going on. It does not mean that God does not care because He doesn't instantly deal with the troubles and the difficulties you face, but He knows and He's watching. The um, sons of Korah have a version of one of the Psalms where the, the refrain, the line goes, He watches over you, He watches over you, He watches over you. And sometimes you want to say to God, to be honest, stop watching over me, come and help me. But actually, God's watching over us is a marvelous thing, and it's a wonderful thing, because He doesn't let us be tempted beyond what we are able, and He does provide for us. And that's the second part, verses 16 and 18. Look at these extraordinary verses. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. And verse 18, the days of the blameless are known to the Lord, and their inheritance will endure forever. Oops, I'll put that back. Sorry. There is a, a tremendous inheritance that Christians have. Look up there in 1 Peter 1 verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through, him, who through faith are shielded by God's power and the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That verse has been coming back to me again and again and again, and it keeps coming up as, as I'm studying God's Word and looking at it this whole idea that the Christian has to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, but because of the inheritance that we have, we can even in those trials rejoice. In other words, what we have to do as Christians is grasp more and more who God is, who we are, and what God has done for us. If only we could grasp our inheritance, if only we could realize what we've got, then we wouldn't seek our satisfaction from what are, in comparison, just trinkets. David Dixon, the Scottish minister, <coughs> Puritan from a while ago, said this, Oh, what comfort it is to taste the sweetness of Christ in every enjoyment. When we can say, I think I've got it up there, yeah, that's right. When we can say, Christ loved me and gave himself for me that I might enjoy these blessings. Oh, how this will raise the value of every common mercy. In other words, what Dixon is saying is what this psalm is saying. When you are in trouble and you are aware of Christ and the inheritance you have in Christ, it brings you joy through that trouble. And when you are experiencing common mercies, they are magnified many times because of the sweetness of Jesus Christ. Paul says the same thing in Romans 8, that Christ, having died for us, along with Him, we are graciously given all things. And that means you get a banquet, you praise God, you rejoice in God because of what Christ has done, not because of the banquet, you enjoy the banquet, but it means if you get a cup of water and a bit of bread, you rejoice in that cup of water and that bit of bread because of what Christ has done. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. The inheritance that exists in this world for the non-believer is a withering seed. 
It may look glorious, but it will collapse. The glorious inheritance that the Christian has is a seed that, that is going to grow and develop. This, it's the seed that kind of though outwardly we are fading away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. That's why Paul says that he wants the Christians to know the real extent, the depth, the height, the love of Jesus Christ. That blameless in verse 18 is just this whole idea of an integrated whole that we are inwardly and outwardly, God is at work. And we are able to say, as, as we read in Galatians, Christ loved me and gave Himself for me. So right now, you could be in the midst of one of the most miserable weeks of your life, and you're still able to say, Christ loved me and gave Himself for me. And you know, in a way, you may experience more of the love of Christ in that, because you see how shallow everything else is. You could also be in the midst of one of the most joyful occasions of your life. I've never been so much aware of the love of Christ uh, as I remember when um, Andrew was born. We were praying for him when he was born, and I was so thankful, and it was just tremendous. But I was so overwhelmed by the goodness of God in Christ dying for me on the cross. It seems a strange thing that your son is born and you think of the Son of God dying for you. But they're very intimately tied together. On the other hand, I can think of occasions of complete blackness and complete defeat and complete misery, which at the very bottom of the pit, in the blackest of black holes, you look up and you see that Christ loved you and gave Himself for you. And even in the midst of that darkness, there is a joy that is unspeakable, unbelievable. That's what the psalmist is saying. Look, don't envy the wicked. Don't envy your neighbor because of the, the, the wealth that they have. Don't envy the fact that you, it's, it's the psalmist in Psalm 73 says, it, it looks as though everyone else is prospering and I'm the one who's struggling. Now, we've to take our eyes off that, and we have to look to the wealth that we already have in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to finish just by asking three questions, and please forgive me um, for asking them. I ask them because uh, they are, I believe, important to us. The first is the, the one that comes from the first part of this passage, when I said that we don't fret because we know who God is and we know who we are. I'm just wondering if you know who you are and if you know what God has called you to be. John Stott, a few years ago, at what he thought was very near the end of his life, though he's still going, um, gave an address to the Evangelical Alliance in which he said he was greatly concerned because he wanted to ask, where were the Timothys at the end of the 20th century? that what he was seeing was lots and lots of Christians who liked being Christians, but would sacrifice very, very little. Or let me put it another way, where are the David Livingstons? Would you be prepared to go to Africa, to leave your family, and there's no Skype, and there's no email, and you don't really get that much backing from the church? 
And every step forward that you take, you seem to go two steps back and you're confronted with your own sinfulness and you're confronted with loneliness and you're confronted with lack of supplies. How could you possibly survive? We wouldn't. We wouldn't survive. Because our delight is not in the Lord. Now, I don't think that many of us, in one sense, are being called to be David Livingston in that way. And yet, I do think that God is calling us to face up to the fact that we are in a battle, that it is not a battle which we can experience and know great, great um, victories all the time, and that we, we have to pay a price, and we have to be prepared for disappointments, and we have to be prepared for discouragements, and we don't put our hand to the plow, and at the first sign of difficulty, we just walk away. The only way that we can do that is if we know who we are. I was at, as some of you know, I was at the Scottish Parliament yesterday, and it was a real privilege to be in the actual chamber. It was quite funny because when I sat down, Murdo Fraser, who's the deputy leader of the Conservative Party, uh, was chairing the thing, and he stood up and he said, I have to say this, I cannot uh, but express my delight that David Robertson is sitting at, on the front bench for the Tories. Uh, I was apparently sitting in the, um, in the Tory chief whip seat, and so he took great delight in that. But it was, uh, it was an interesting time. It was a good time. Really enjoyed it. For me, the highlight was probably singing Crown Him the Lord of All in the Scottish Parliament. I just thought it was wonderful. But then talking to some of the MSPs and talking to some of the other people who were there, some of, some of the MSPs who are Christians, some fine Christians there, the thing that struck me was what a lack of confidence and willingness to sacrifice, and willingness to stand up. I mean, there are people who will stand up who are considered as lunatics and so on. They've got nothing to lose. But people who've got something to lose, how difficult that is. But do we know who we are? Are we prepared to live lives for Jesus Christ? Where are the people who are genuinely prepared to give everything they have for Jesus? Not like some religious fanatics, people who are going to go out and kill themselves or kill other people, but people who are just prepared to serve and to love Christ. You can do it if you know who you are and you know what God has called you to be. Second part, second question is not such a massive question, but it's, it is a genuine question, and I'm, I struggle with it a bit. I'm trying to work all this out. I'm just asking you simply, what are you doing this evening? because uh, uh, you'll be thankful to know that I can't do the second two parts of this psalm just now, unless you want to be here till half past one. Um, we're going to look at that this evening, and we'll take communion together. Now, I think it's really important, or I wouldn't waste hours studying it and looking at it. And I guess that all of you think that it's a really good idea to learn the secret of being content. But I am genuinely and completely puzzled more as a shepherd who has to give account for your souls, that we, we seem to hang so loose to the whole concept of the Lord's Day and God's Word. And, you know, you contrast David Livingston giving 30 years of his life, his whole life, and we think we're doing really well if we manage a couple of hours on a Sunday morning. Now, I know there are lots and lots of different things, and I know that people can't always come in the evening, and I'm not one to lay guilt trips, and I'm not even particularly 
That's not that particular issue. What I'm most concerned about is the level of commitment. The Christian Union, for example, did a fantastic work in uh, reaching out this week in terms of their events. But if it's just events, it's a waste of time. The events are, if you like, just the sprinkling almost on the, on the, on the cake. The, the, it's the prayer and the work and everything else that f- needs to follow up. And I just simply ask, not what are you doing this evening, and I would encourage you to come and, and, and to worship and to be together, but just to think about how you use your time overall, because you can't have it all. You can't follow Jesus Christ and mammon. It can't be done. We need more of the Word, not less, and sometimes it means that you do have to give up some things. And then the third question is simply this. Do you know anything of the sweetness of Christ or the glorious inheritance? And what I mean by that, something that sustains you even through the most avid pain, suffering, sorrow, discouragement, and so on. I love it when um, things go really well, for example, in the church. Let me give you a personal example of this to finish. When things go really well in the church, if you have a packed church and everything's just it's great, and you rejoice in that, and that's learning to be content in plenty. But, you know, some of the sweetest times that we've had in this building here are when things have not been going so well. Because sometimes there's been this incredible sense and consciousness of the presence of Jesus Christ. And I just wonder, David Dixon's words, what comfort it is to taste the sweetness of Christ in every enjoyment. I just wonder what we know of that. And I suspect if we are discontented, if we are agitated, if we are angry, it's because we do not know the sweetness of Christ. And all I would simply ask is that as we sing our last song about the deep, deep love of Jesus, that we would pray and we would ask for that to be revealed to us, that we wouldn't pray, Lord, just give me all these things, and Lord, keep me from all this, but most of all, that we would just pray that the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ would be something that would be revealed to us that we may follow Him. If you're not a Christian, can I just say to you that this isn't about religion and isn't about choosing religions. It's about your life. It's about God revealing Himself to you. It is about Jesus Christ offering all the things that are here in this psalm. It's, I'll put it simply. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will do this. Uh, and as we Uh, pray and sing together at the end. I I do ask for you to commit your way to the Lord. I'm going to ask Robert if he'll just come and lead us in prayer before we finish.